fucking neck! All right, guys, we are back with another episode of Maneria, a.k.a. The Darling and the Dragon and Nick. <laughs> <laughs> the Darling, the Dragon, and Nick. That actually... Like, I love it. That feels good. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I dig it. All right, so uh, um, again, I'm your host, Mike. We got Kalen and his brother, Nick, in the studio. Well, Nick's not here. No, Nick's in a computer. Nick lives in, in Nick lives in electrons right now. Yeah, and so I can't strike him physically, which is probably safer for everybody. I'm so uh, so upset. That's awesome. It's like <laughs> I had all these new weapons to use, and he, I, I'm just gonna break my computer. And I don't want to hit you, Mike, because your dulcet tones keep me calm. Mike, dude, why? That's I'm not going to. I, so it's just, I just I just said that. Fucking. Nick. Which is another reason I appreciate that we're uh, our standard six feet apart. Gotta stay socially distanced. Yeah. I think we're, we're a good eight feet apart here, bud. Yeah. And I can see that, uh, so, uh, Kalen's sitting at his workstation right now where he records and writes and does all his emailing. Underneath, he's got one, two, three, at least four or five weapons uh, strategically placed. Will you tell me what this is all about? Well, in case somebody comes in that I don't like, I have an option of what I want to grab. Okay. So, so in, case, uh, in case anybody comes in and I don't like them, you know, I grab... My machete. Yeah, you got a brand new machete down there. Uh, that's the one that, that cleared a, a good tonnage of, of uh, trees and branches in the yard. Which, which by the way, this is no like cheap uh, like Walmart machete. Oh no, machete, machete. This no. is like it, it's a like hand fashioned. It's got a it's got a, a cloth case. What is going on with this? This thing? is this is just a high quality uh, tactical. Uh, survivalist machete in the woods, you know, and it's got everything you need. Then I got my throwing axe in case they try to run after uh-huh. they see the machete. And I got the skinning knife under there. And Wait. then I got the uh, the the riot baton. Because <laughs> there's nothing better. Because if I don't want to kill a guy, but I want to make his kneecap jelly. Yeah. Riot baton. All right. So you've got basically a, a close-up melee weapon, uh, a ranged weapon. Yep. Uh, a, a way to dispose of the body afterwards, and then of course, if you want to go non-lethal, yeah, the baton. Yes, and I have a beer horn right there in the corner for beverages, <laughs> in case you get thirsty. Yeah, this stuff is, you know, I'm working hard over here. That's that's pretty amazing. Thank you. Are you, have you had the chance to use any of these yet? Uh, machete on the yard, throwing axe for practice, uh-huh. uh, the skinning knife. Uh, the it's a it's a good old uh, you know buck, you know like beautiful knife there. I. Do some whittling with that. I've you know done some stuff. Uh, I have not gotten to strike anybody with the riot baton. <laughs> and there is a riot baton shaped hole in my heart. That it's like that dream. It just my wife hates it when I talk about it. But like you know, if somebody were to break into the house, you know, do you come at that with fear and doubt, or do you lock the door behind the person and smile and say, "I'm so glad you came," because now I'm not gonna kill you. But I'm gonna keep you. Oh God! I got dark, bud. Huh? It's funny, like, because I was just starting to feel good. <laughs> I did notice a a particular smile. You know, like when the Grinch uh, did something good and his heart grew. Yeah. I feel like when you think of maiming people, <laughs> your heart grows. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I'm I'm in a nice mood right now. Everything's fine. <laughs> All right. So, what I wanted to talk to you about today is uh, you toured with Corn. From 2006 to 2008, is that right? Yes. That's what your Wikipedia page says. Yeah. I, had to, I had to research you because we're such good friends. I just got a proper Wikipedia page because they have to, everything has to be sourced. That was good. Oh, um, man. I'll contribute to that. 
Yeah. It, it has to be source documented <laughs> stuff or whatever my manager says it is. Like, so we could say that uh, Kalen Chase has an affinity for uh, defacing uh, national monuments and uh, taking a geyser up the anus. That would be real because we have the video proof. So you have to be able to prove what you say. <laughs> actually, documents. actually, at this I point, anything we say... Time, Nick, I missed that. What was that? I got lots of proof. <laughs> nice. Anything we say on this podcast could now be sourced. True. So, Nick, but we can I try s- to get him to say shit and then put it on his Wikipedia page and it will live there forever. I'd like to see you two normies get me to say something. If you guys can win that game of chess... I'll build you a new cathedral. That's fine. Let's do it. Let's talk. I really feel like there's, there's, it doesn't take a lot because. Yeah, uh, I mean, well, yeah, I say what I want to say. You're not going to get me or make me say anything. I will give you the information that I choose to divulge. That's a really good point. I think it would be more just us taking advantage of what you say naturally. That's true. I mean, I now granted, there is a way to get me on a roll, and you could probably <laughs> pop a little, a couple of those zits of truth. I hope that doesn't happen. All right, back to corn. Yes. <laughs> okay, so uh, when you were touring with them, they have been around for, what, like a decade and a half, two decades? Uh, they were, so they, they got up and running. They've been doing it for a while, but I mean, they, their first album came out in 1994. Uh-huh. And um, I joined in 2006, 12 years later. They were, I mean, they were the band that, that broke TRL. They had to take the top video, like they had to like give it a, a time limit. Um, massive success in the late 90s, mid uh-huh. to late 90s. And um, they, it continued on, and, and they were just a juggernaut. They, they're they a special band. Like, you know, I, I play metal, and I'm known for metal, and I listen to some of it. Back in 1999, 2000, like, Issues, which some people don't realize is their best album. It is. <laughs> I was rocking that every day. Oh, yeah? So you were a day. fan before you joined up. I was a fan of that record. I'd never heard anything before that. I'm... I just love that record, and I didn't really follow them afterwards. So when I got in the band, um, I didn't have a lot of context. I was just being <laughs> a professional, and I remember uh, one time at, uh, it was we were filming the MTV Unplugged and getting ready in New York, and uh, uh, one of the band members, uh, backing members like myself, was talking about something. He's like, "I'm a fan of the band," and he was like, "That's great. I mean, you know, you don't have to say that just because you're." And he's like, "No, I'm legitimately a fan." He's like, "Nice." Kalen, you're you're you just don't care. I was like, nope. <laughs> and he paused and he laughed and was like, no, I don't. Uh, I love their music. I think they're it's amazing. Uh-huh. And I did listen to more and more of their stuff, but I've as screwing around like you have to separate that for the gig, you know, because it's their art that they're putting out into people. Right. And I'm only there to facilitate them. Yeah. Making so, them sound good. So for people that don't know this, um, talk to me about like being part of the touring band versus the studio band and who's actually officially in the band. What, how does that all work? And, and then also, how'd you get involved? So the, uh, Korn was, was a band of five guys. And uh, one of their guitar players, Brian, uh, who's known by the name Head, had left the band um, on kind of a spiritual kind of rejuvenation thing. He uh, had a bunch of problems. I never met, met him before I joined the band. When he left, they kind of Corn did a re, kind of a recharge thing. So they decided to get they had to get a backing guitar player, who originally played behind the stage, 
And then because of all the backing harmonies and, and other things, like they decide and they used keyboards, they decided to get a keyboard player and then a percussionist and a backing vocalist. And so uh, at my school that I worked and, and graduated from Musicians Institute, Nick actually was the one who got me into the gig. Oh, wow. And it did not come easy for him. I was difficult. Tell me about that, Nick. So I was the internship coordinator at the time, and so I was I, I graduated the music business program from the same school that Casey went to, and uh, we uh, I was talking with Barry Squire, who was basically the guy that you went to when, as a major touring act, you needed to find someone. Like if someone needed a guitar player or a background vocalist or a drummer, mm-hmm. Barry arranged auditions, brought people that he knew in. And found your guy. Like he was, a, he was, he was a matchmaker, you know. Uh huh. And so he was, he was in my office. We were talking, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm doing this audition for Corn tomorrow for a background vocalist." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, cool. I got a guy for you." Nice. So he left, and I called Casey, and I was like, "Oh." <laughs> the uh, the computer that uh, it was at eighty eight percent that that Nick is on just died. Which is funny because that's exactly what I did to him when he called. I really? just hung up on him. Oh shit! Uh, you bring him back up. I will bring him back up. I'm very <laughs> confused. It's maybe the power strip to it. Nick, come back. No, it's on. Are you we, plugged into the wall? Yeah, it, it'll. It just takes one second and then okay. open it and then. Yeah. All right, it's coming back up. Nick has a lot of patience, and yeah. he puts up with a lot of shit. Well, he gives me so much of it. That you see, the Nick is is but, the. Uh, is the hidden villain. Really? Yeah, like, so if this was a movie, everybody would think I was the asshole, but no, he's an evil brother. Because you don't, you don't really filter when you're on other people. No, I don't. That's because I'm an honest heart, uh, what's that word where you... A heart-on? A heart-on. Yeah, I'm a heart-on. A... My heart has a boner for you guys. All of you. All I want to do is... There he oh, is. Boom! We have Nick back. There we go. There we go. Um... Where did we leave him off? Uh, he so he was gonna call me about yeah. the corn audition. Okay, so pick that up. You said you got a guy. So yeah, I told I told I, so I told uh, I told Barry we I told Barry I got a guy, and so he, he uh, we said we, he said he was holding the audition the next day, and so he left, and I called Casey. Casey, what'd you do? Um, I hung up on you immediately. What? Why? Well, um, did you think he was fucking with you? No, I was in a really, really bad place. I was uh, sleeping on a bunk bed in a crappy apartment and um, very hard up on money. And my band, we were just having a really hard time. We were doing, like, we were doing well. And there was just, it was a funk. I was in a funk. And also the idea of of doing background vocals for another band didn't uh, appease my 22-year-old ego. Even this, this, like, internationally, like, renowned rock band? Yeah, I was like, fuck off. I'll just do it myself. And I hung up. I mean, you 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 had another gig for like you got you auditioned and got another gig for a minute that we and and you like oh yeah blew that one off. Yeah. I forget the name of the band. Span, really? Spine Shank. Spine Shank. Yeah, um, <laughs> I did that one. I they were nice guys. that just didn't really fit. Yeah. Huh. Um, it's not just not the right time at all. But I was also it was like a year earlier. And, it's dead set on doing it my doing my band and, and, and everything else like that and and so I was like I will take the poverty starving musician things and it calls back and reasons with me and I listen to him and then I hang up 
So this time you said yes? Basically, no. Basically, on the third call, we made a deal that he would go if I made sure that someone came and woke him up, <laughs> that I provided printed out lyrics and a CD for him to learn, which he did. Okay. No, 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 Nick. I tried first, remember? So I went out. I agreed. Um, and I went out to Hot Topic at the Hollywood Highland thing, and I listened to the record like five times with the song that they wanted me to do off there. It was the record that they just released. Uh-huh. Um see you on the other side and the song was twisted transistor so i listened to that song and then they kicked me out of hot topic for not buying anything and just keep listening to the song and so i made nick buy me a record because i didn't have any money (laughs) and then nick got my sister to babysit me for that day and the next day while i was learning to make sure that i didn't decide to just drink myself into oblivion and leave wow because i was against this whole situation i was being i was being young and dumb Uh and like art ah, and i'm doing the uh early 20s drugs and alcohol yeah um which was fun but i was i i was scared about you know doing something that took away from the thing i was doing uh-huh but i but nick was reasonable and and so i surrendered to the process okay and so my sister grabbed my ass at uh, 11 in the morning and drug me down the street to the school because we lived all in that area and uh, i was wearing a shirt that said ass is the new mouth <laughs> that we made <laughs> and uh I did the audition, and I was just starting to. I graduated, and I was just starting to do like uh, open counseling and teaching for vocals at the school. Uh-huh. And I, uh, to pat my own back, I did appreciate the fact that when I walked in, uh, a lot of the people auditioning were people that I'd worked with, students or old classmates. And to hear people say, "Oh fuck," Whoa. was a bolster huh. for my confidence. Uh-huh. So I did the song and. Uh, and a few weeks later, a couple weeks later, I was doing a recording gig of the studio with another band, and I got the phone call, and it's on, like, they recorded it, like, me getting the first wave of the audition. So I did the first wave of the audition, went down up to Malibu uh, to their music supervisor, um, who did, like, the Queen of the Dam soundtrack with John. His name is Richard Gibbs, worked mm-hmm. on, with Oingo Boingo. He was a member of that band, and with Danny Elfman. So I do that audition. And uh-huh. then a week later, I get another call, and I have to go back up there at night. And I decided to head up to my parents' house in Santa Barbara. So I figured I'd stop there, do the audition. And if I got it, we could celebrate. And if not, I could, you know, not celebrate. So yeah. I get there, and Richard Gibbs is like, all right, Jonathan's going to come and listen. And he doesn't really make decisions very quickly. He's going, He wants to be perfect. So, you know, if he doesn't say anything, don't be disheartened. Um, so I show up, and Jonathan Davis shows up, a guy who's like, I... 1999 was literally the album I listened to most. Walks in with his wife uh, and two bodyguards, one of who was just, he called his assistant, who is a giant bodybuilding Cuban, and the other one was a man named Sleepy, who is an incredibly tall, incredibly intimidating black man um, who looked like he was uh, a former member of the Crips, which he was, I (laughs) found out later. And both of those gentlemen are the nicest, kindest, most wonderful guys in the world but if you don't know them yeah and they walk into a small space and they're all looking at you so they walk in we say hello and they go into the control room and then i did the audition and i was my butthole could have cracked a walnut and then i get the uh, the, the intercom on the headphone said hey come in john john loves it you're hired no shit yep Just happened like right that. then and there uh three auditions was it was a lot of work but it was i was expecting a lot more drag and, and draw and, and uh-huh. it turned you know he was just such a nice guy uh, awesome. right away and then uh, I had two weeks to learn 25 songs uh-huh. 
or three, two or three weeks to learn it's 25 or 30 songs that gave me all the music and the lyrics for what they were doing for that whole U.S. tour. We, we had a U.S. tour that, like, once we started, I was home for a few weeks and a few, occasionally a month, a month and a half for the next two and a half years. Like, it was constantly on Just the road. Just kept going? Yeah. Whoa. That's wild. That's pretty cool. It was a good time. Nice. Uh, so... All right, Corn is known for um, paving the way for a new genre called new metal. What the hell is new metal? Um, so you had, so you had your your eighties uh, Sunset Strip scene. You know, you had the eighties yeah. rock, mm-hmm. and then you had grunge, which kind of eviscerated that. And then bands like Pantera kind of came and took the thrash and the Iron Maiden and everything else and they, they gave it they gave it they took that metal and they, they just progressed it farther with more aggression uh-huh. and you know like because metal came from you know Black Sabbath and blues and and you know all these other things like mm-hmm. that, that made metal Pantera took that and and took it farther but Korn was one of the bands that took ideas of industrial hip hop funk uh-huh. Like all these subtle things, and along with a seven-string guitar tuned down a whole step to to A, uh-huh. um, they were lower and heavier and dirtier and and concept conceptually, it was just a different thing. They weren't singing about girl, I wanna be with you or dragons in the night. They weren't doing any of that. Like I want to kill you. It was <laughs> introspective. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh. Uh, yeah, thought provoking. Like it was basically what every sad goth, you know, awkward teen in the '90s, everybody who loved grunge but wanted something a little more self-destructive. Um, because grunge wasn't self-destructive enough. It wasn't for them. They needed something heavier. <laughs> I was. It was for people. Who, I don't know. I you know I was young when that came out. Um, yeah. And I wasn't interested uh-huh. initially. Yeah, not at that but point. But it was. But I know what that must have felt like. You know, it's just, there's records out there that you think about like. Listening to Vulgar Display of Power or from Pantera or even OK Computer from Radiohead, where you see a sea change, yeah, you know, coming. And Korn's first record did that, um, and it bridged a lot of gaps. You know, having Ice Cube and the whole rap core mm-hmm. thing. You know, I mean, Rage Against the Machine was doing stuff already, and and I don't know if they, anybody called them new metal, but I don't think so because they were their own kind of thing. But it, yeah, it was just a weird time, and and. They kind of signified that we couldn't describe it as anything because it was too many things, and a bunch of bands jumped on that bandwagon, uh-huh. and a bunch of bands sucked, <laughs> and some of them were good. Every now and then, I when I was playing uh, poker with John, because uh, I taught him. Well, he knew the game, but I liked to play poker. I used to make my rent playing it back in the day. Uh-huh. So I got on the road and I started introducing it to some of the guys on the on the crew, and we'd sit and play, and if if like he was getting cocky because he was, you got to be good because he's an incredibly smart guy. But whenever he went, I was like, "Fuck you, JD! You invented new metal." And he's like, "I didn't mean to." I was like, "Well, yeah, <laughs> fucking did." So fuck you. And we would have That's a good laugh about that. Oh my god. Yeah, it's got to be pretty nuts to be a band that like has an entire genre named after you. They were, they were there, and uh, they, I mean, you know, they're so dis. I, I, I think they're pretty detached to it because uh-huh. they weren't like. 
hey, this is what we're doing. This They were just doing their thing. Right. And the genre kind of came up around them, and they were just looking forward and making music. So um, it certainly hasn't been... They, they are crushed by the weight of their own influence uh-huh. because they're sensible guys. Yeah. And I and one of the things I respect about them most, most is that, that they are just doing what they're doing. Yeah. And they've they've progressed and and throw gotten throwbacks to their old sounds and they, they mm-hmm. constantly mm-hmm. are mixing and matching and and no matter what, you know, whatever record it is, there's always something viscerally in, in energizing and heavy and fun. Yeah. And for, for playing live, even though that wasn't the music that I listened to a lot, uh, one of the most fun, energetic, uh, great way to lose weight, uh, that and cocaine. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was it was a blast. Nice. Well, that's fun. Uh, what's a, a, a what's a typical day on tour like? Generally, it depends on who you are. Um, there are the people, and I kind of branch like high school. I I, I walked between camps. Mm-hmm. Um, you got some people who wake up and are all about working out. Uh huh. And and staying in shape. Yeah. You got people who gonna get up and they're gonna you know if they have time they're gonna go try to see a site or go to a restaurant or mm-hmm. you know see the town you got a lot of times you're you know if you're in the band you're stuck uh doing press yep uh you're stuck doing filming for some kind of thing you know you usually like if you're a bigger band you have a videographer there ready filming so you might have to do some stuff like that oh yeah and then they'll they'll like go talk to radio djs all day long kind of promoting uh-huh you yeah. do that i mean we've done a bunch of like radio shows where like six o'clock in the morning you'd have to be at the station usually they try to do that the day before six in the morning was was like i mean anytime you'd go to like a radio thing it was always butt-ass early because really? like man cow in chicago uh-huh um you know that's when you film so um that's nice. we did that once but fortunately like Oh no, that was the same day. We had to do that at six in the morning. Then we had a promo for the record uh-huh. at like four in the afternoon on this outdoor little thing for this whole party. Um, Is this after doing a show the night before? Night before, uh, we did. Yeah, that, so, that particular time. So, so you're, uh, would you be lucky to get like three or four hours of sleep? Yeah, before? sometimes. Now, generally, that was just a one-off. Usually, okay. especially with a bigger band, it you had a day off in between. Got it. Okay. Uh, most of the time, that happened. That was just the one. And if you're a band who's coming up or doesn't have the clout that Corn has, uh-huh. you might have to do that stuff. Right. Um, yeah, uh, you know, playing and as a background guy, like my job is to to be there and be ready. So I mm-hmm. remember playing with Strep Throat once. Um, they had to get a rock doc to come out with because my uvula was the little ball was so swollen it was touching my tongue, <laughs> and so they came out with a needle and injected a numbing agent into my uvula so that I wasn't choking. I couldn't feel it. So that I could just kind of sing the parts, and they turned me up, and and I couldn't like headbang or do anything. I was known for jumping off eight foot, ten foot risers over the guitar player and throwing Whoa. things like yeah, I was going in the crowd. Um, that show wasn't that. It was just it's all about giving one hundred and ten percent, which doesn't exist. So it's just one hundred percent, an uh, actual one hundred percent. Yeah, like yeah. you basically try. I mean, I I remember playing in Oklahoma. It was one hundred sixteen degrees on stage, uh-huh. and I wore a suit. And uh, so the other band backing members were taking off their jackets. I was like, come on, guys, keep the outfit. They're like, no way. And I'm wringing my suit jacket out into a garbage can, just sweating so much, which is good because I had beer on stage, so it was fine. But, like, that was the fun of it. Like, the fun of it was, like, pushing yourself to the absolute limit. And as a background guy, 
I could do that even more because if, if you're in the front, you know, if you're if you're one of those guys, you have to give them everything you have, but also maintain your brand. Whereas I could just sacrifice my body and mind and soul for the art <laughs> and give them a give them a performance. Yeah. All right. So hold up, because um, you don't see the best. No. And when you're on stage and there's spotlights and it's dark and and you get all the special effects going, it's tough to see. Yeah. And you're like, there's cables around and there's mic stands and there's gear. How the hell are you jumping off these risers over a guitar player and still staying upright? Uh, I would walk the stage during sound check. Okay. Uh, so so you just do this through memory, like some yeah. kind of super blind yeah. person memory. Oh, it's. I mean, anybody could do it. It's simply, it's you get up on your riser. So I had one riser on the left and one riser on the right. Eventually, I ended up replacing the uh, percussionist, and I became because I, I played percussion almost right away as well as backing vocals. So uh-huh. eventually, I was percussion. I did backing keyboard, just a little random like snippets. Nothing okay. Talented. Uh, the keyboard player <laughs> was incredible. I played guitar in a couple songs. Uh-huh. Um, but I had two risers, and there was a big or two like like things on each side of the stage by the drummer. So I had stage left, stage right, and then there were stairs that went up to a catwalk between the two. Oh shit! And I would run from one thing to another because certain songs I had to play different things. So one song I would start one side and go to the other, and uh, you know headbang on top of there, and that's the catwalk I would jump off of. Uh-huh. But all you have to do is you get on your thing and say five steps from my stage left riser to my microphone, two steps to the left to your drums. Seven seven steps up to the catwalk. The catwalk, if you're running, is five five uh, bounds. If you're walking, you know, just keep doing it. So you basically you, you should be able to do it with your eyes closed. I don't recommend it. So I would do that around the whole stage. <laughs> wow, and each venue is a little bit different, so that would be why you have to walk each time. Generally, you because we have our same stuff. Yeah. The only time it would be different is if the stage was too small and we had to condense a couple things. Mm-hmm. Or uh, one time the backing crew. Um, had my mic way, way too high because I was also wearing a mask for the first part of the tour. Yep. They were hazing me, which was funny. So the like the monitor guys and the mixers, I walk up and I reach for my mic and I miss it completely. And I had to like move my, my mic, my amp, or my uh, mask a little bit. And I was like, it was kind of sad. And they looked through there and then they all felt bad about it, which I, I was like, no, guys, it's fine. I mean, making fun of a handicap, that seems like the kind of, uh, you know, underachieving thing that got you here to your job so great nice. great great you guys are a petri dish of ingenuity and brilliance nice tell and me about this mask uh, i read something about a, a rabbit mask it was a rabbit mask yeah what's what's going on with this rabbit so mask? The, the record was um uh the the album art was this albino kid ironically who i didn't play they were talking about having me come out as this albino like ghost kid, but um, there was all these animals and masks like Alice in Wonderland. There was a rabbit in a suit, a horse, a pig, um, all these things. Okay. So I, my character was the rabbit. I was the rabbit for that whole tour for uh, See You on the Other Side. And did did every band member play a character? Uh, the, not so the corn. The main guys in Corn did not wear masks, but the backing band, all four of oh, us, we had. Okay. Yeah, we had the horse. Uh, we had the rabbit. We had the, uh, the pig, wild. and we had huh. something else. I can't remember. What's it like doing like vocals from inside a mask? So you'd have the the mouth part cut around, and so I just use a like kind of like a bank robbing leotard, <laughs> and then they also had this part where we all wore clear like mask over that. So I would have three masks on, and I would disrobe and change them and do different things. So three layers. It was sweaty. Yeah, I, but I uh, this part under here was just black, and then that only lasted for that six month run of the tour or so, and then uh, we started doing some weird cool like airbrush face things for a while uh-huh. um for something else but that I, we we did 
it was a little longer than six months. I went to Europe and Asia, and I don't think we did South America there, but like that. Oh yeah, and and Australia. So like the world kind of remembered me as the Australian said, as the albino ribbit. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was like, ribbit. aren't you the albino ribbit? I was like, yes. And I was like, let's have intercourse. And we did. That Just was... To anyone that called you the so albino you ribbit? You fondly of the intercourse in Australia. You loved that. It was a wonderful place. People are very, very friendly and chill. And it was just a, there was nothing degrading for either part. I was like, let's go have some intercourse. And uh, it was wonderful. I love my wife, but uh, I wasn't married then. I'm thumbs upping uh, for all you podcasters. Yeah, he's got he's got two of the biggest thumbs up and a shitting grin like I've never seen. Yeah, Australia's great. Nice. Would you go on tour again with another band that's not yours? I'm never gonna say never because I said that kind of crap when I was a young starving idiot. Uh-huh. Um, and I would love to. I I like to play music. So if an opportunity came up and it worked out where I could still create the music I'm creating, yeah, uh-huh. absolutely. Uh, dream gig. Uh, backer on vocalist for Peter Gabriel. Oh, sweet. That would be amazing. Uh-huh. Um, you hear that, Peter? Yeah. Get your shit together, bud. Yeah. He's um, just a phone call away. There's all sorts. I mean, there's opportunities everywhere. And, and having this, like, militant idea of what you're going to do and what you're not going to do is wrong. Like, I was known for doing metal. I My metal band was doing very well. And um, I've always played this music that I'm doing now, the my solo stuff, more uh, alternative rock, weirdness. Uh-huh. And I've always it's loved a really it. cool sound. It's I I thank you very much. I appreciate that. But I I w- didn't do it for a while because I was continually working, and I should have. But uh-huh. then I got a kick in the pants, and now I'm doing this. So to say like oh, I'm only gonna do this like metal or die or only I'm, I'm never gonna play metal again because I'm doing this now. Bull right. crap! I gotta do some metal again soon because I'm gonna need to you know to get that energy out. Otherwise, uh-huh. I'm gonna kill my brother and rape Michael. Whoa. Dude, I- how it has to get there. Why not kill me and rape your brother? <laughs> what? Eh, well, he's on a computer right now. We, yeah, good point. Okay. Uh, would you ever do country? Mm-hmm. Nick and I are currently writing um, uh, a bunch of country tracks. Really? Yeah, trying to, we're going to get them all set up, demoed, and we're going to uh, pitch them to artists. Nice. Nick, what's that project called? That project is called Nick and Kaylin are writing country. There's no, there's no name for really? it. Really? Yeah, we're not trying to perform these songs. Nick is uh-huh. a... Uh, when I was getting into metal and and weird music, Nick was getting into primo 90s and old school country uh, back when we lived in Washington together when we were uh-huh. teenagers. And even before that, actually. Pre-teens into teenagers. So I went completely opposite of him, and we were in massive disagreement. And somewhere along the way, we realized that we both really did like a lot of what the other like there's songs that Nick likes that I despise vice versa but we both appreciate a good amount of what we we like you know I got Nick into certain things Nick got me into certain things and um, we both appreciate the country and we you know we have Nashville here so we want to write a bunch of songs and see if we can get some people to uh, sell them so we can uh, buy them bath salts that's great uh you mentioned the 90s for country. That was kind of the heyday, right? That was the best storytelling. Well, I mean, country going back to the 60s, 70s, 80s, all there were a lot of great standout songs, but I feel like 90s really hit hard as far as like modern country folding into like the pop scene. 
but still having some substance other than trucks, dogs, and, and girls, you know? I think that the 90s validated the, some of the 70s and 80s issues with country, uh-huh. but I'm going to let Nick take this bad one. Oh, you got he's this? the resident expert. This is a one-time only Nick. Oh, wow. Uh, so I think what, what the deal was is that in the 90s, you had a bunch of people, a bunch of artists that came up listening to not only... George Jones and Hank Williams and Patsy Cline and Loretta Lynn, but also James Taylor and the Eagles and the Beatles and Linda Ronstadt. And, you know, like, so these guys grew up with AM and FM radio and options. And so you heard that mute and, and it kind of, it kind of took the place for, it took the place for the older generation, like parents, you know, like the parents of kids in the nineties, started hearing some of that music they grew up with in country music. And I think that provided, you know, it, it gave them something else to listen to because at that point, you know, bands like Korn and Nirvana and Alice in Chains that they didn't necessarily resonate with, you know, like the people, the people in their 30s and 40s found a lot to listen to in the country scene. You know, like you had, you know, I mean, you, you have the, the, the guy, the, my hero, Garth Brooks, uh, whose heroes were... Merle Haggard, George Jones, George Strait, James Taylor, Dan Fogelberg, and Bob Seger, for instance, you know? Yeah. And you hear that in his music, so I think that's I think that's what did it. It was a perfect moment, you know? And also, everyone was making a ton of money, you know, because people were buying <laughs> CDs and cassettes. Right. So, people were, like, there was no internet, there was no internet radio yet, really, and so there was just so much, there was so much money and so much promotion, and so, I mean, everyone was just making tons, you know, because people were buying things twice. That's really interesting. So, yeah, so if the 90s were influenced by, like, rock and southern rock primarily, mixed mixed with that old traditional country sound, um, yeah. after the 2000s, pop really, really started pushing into country, and now we see a lot of influence from hip-hop, and pop and hip-hop aren't really known for having really substantive uh uh themes right so in pop it's a lot about uh dating and sex and uh and casual drug use and partying and then hip-hop takes that to a whole new level there's some really great hip-hop i'm not trying to knock it but when you look at kind of the 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 facade of hip-hop it's all about you know uh boats and money and flashing and cars and and uh booties and titties and that whole thing so that pushing into country might be kind of taking away at its substance in a way, right? It, I, you know, there, there's some of the best country music that I've ever heard is being made now by certain people. The, the, the biggest problem that we have is the homogenization of the music industry in general. When During the 90s, there were 10 major labels, and, uh-huh. and, and you had, you know, like, there was options, and, you, you know, especially, like, so, so I, I, you know, I, I listened to the country in the 90s, so I knew... I knew what a record was going to sound like based on what potentially what label it was it was on who was producing it you know like that's that that informed the sound and now there are three major labels three major companies and you know the because they all got rolled up into it it's all been consolidated to the point where fewer people are making decisions and that's a music-wide issue so you're you hear less variety in the mainstream there's Mm -hmm. way more variety from everywhere else Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, because of how many people are DIYing, it's a lot easier to start a label um, and yeah. keep it small. The stuff that you're hearing the most of, which is why everybody's like, oh, it all sounds the same. Um, if you go to a, a studio here in Nashville, there's a clock on the wall 
four hour block, write three songs. You get a great musician. Like it's not write songs. Like you have your song, you give them the charts, and they churn out these songs. Um, which is not. I mean, I'm not gonna diss on on what works because the songs are good. They're well done, and people like them. L.A. is still more of like a process, you know, spend the money to get the studio and do that stuff. Mm-hmm. The difference is that Nashville, uh, I think the ethic of the of the artist is better. I think that the people working around, we want to share contacts here. Uh-huh. We want to, you know, it's all about, you know, it's very friendly. It's very professional. It's very cool. And, and the only thing is, if you screw up and act unprofessional, you're pretty much done. If the wrong person sees that and the wrong person says something, whereas in L.A., if you know somebody like, your your uh, work ethic doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to work here. Whereas Nashville, you have to have it. So hopefully, getting the best of both worlds, like maybe taking a little more time to craft songs and make things different, and that LA is is still trying to do in certain cases. Mm-hmm. And Nashville's integrity, hard work ethic, and just level of talent, yeah, and appreciation for that talent. If those two things come together, you're going to create not only great country music but incredible music in general and nashville is so much more than country there's incredible indie bands out there doing all kinds of things i mean uh i would just like to see that spread a little more and also legalize cocaine (laughs) they haven't even legalized weed here yet wouldn't it be funny if they just jumped right to it though just right to cocaine yeah like like, weed still yeah your potheads still have to kind of struggle yeah and there's like people as long as i'm not driving a key bump a day teach the doctor away (laughs) i don't know why i turned him into an old guy i'm gonna do a cocaine line with my key this good (laughs) well that's actually one of the fun things about all right so broadway in nashville is kind of where everyone goes to hang out at bars get drunk get you know, just absolutely party a weekend away uh, versus like Hollywood Boulevard. Hollywood Boulevard during the day is all families, but at night it's like all the kids, all, you know, 20s, maybe 30s, but it's a pretty young crowd. Nashville's Broadway is everyone. You got people there. They bring their kids to the bars. It's nuts. And then you have grandparents and these like 40s and 50s, 60-year-old people that look really well done up are yep. stumbling bar to bar as drunk as any any 21 year old it's a fun it's a fun special thing nick's got to come out here once the uh covid gets a little less weird and uh what we have not done yet him and i is gone down to broadway and just done a proper bar hop we've done our fair share of bar hoppings and we do it well but i i nashville was literally catered and tailored to fit my brother and the fact that i'm here and he's not is a travesty yeah it sure is because i don't want to like if i don't have him or somebody like that i like i'm not going out to broadway to do any of that Tour, like to come back to touring and stuff like that. You know what a lot of touring is? That was the question you asked. A lot of it is sitting alone and laying alone in your bunk or hanging out in your dressing room, not, not being around anybody because you're, you're, there's so much downtime. There, all those crazy stories you hear, it's true, but if, but there's so much just alone, like, or with your crew, like me and, and the drummer Joey Jordison, who I was in Vimic with. You know, we spent a lot of time on our bus watching Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, listening to music, sharing different songs. We had to like, we had to make each other go out and hang out with people sometimes. Right. Joey would get nervous about the show because he's a perfectionist. Uh-huh. You know, he's one of the best metal drummers of all time, if not. Yeah, he's a he's a topper. I'm not gonna try to rate it because I don't know drums enough. Awesome. But I would always have to coax him into going in out on stage when he was playing with Corn and be like, "You got this. No, you're kidding. gonna do good. Here's a red beer." Uh, going back yeah. to that, you know, and give him a red beer with a clamato and, and slam that. 
Uh-huh. And, um... Yeah, so there's a lot of introverts in, in performing arts, and they need a lot more time to recharge. I think oh, that's... Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I, after the stage, after I was done with the show, I would... Because I wasn't the band guy, I didn't have to go out to see the fans right away. Uh-huh. I would always try to go and, and shake hands and, and sign things and do stuff when I could. Nice. Um, but... I, my general thing was to go clean up and run to the bus, put on Tom Waits, and sit <laughs> in, the, in the silence and the air conditioning in the darkness and just, just sit. And Joey would come in. He's like, dude, what are you doing? There's so many people who want to see you out there. And I was like, ah, I don't want to. Oh, so you would amp him up before the show and he'd yeah. amp you up after? Yeah. And to do that, he would, he would uh, I was 23, you know, so I could get away with this. He was like, black tooth grins, like whiskey and a Coke floater. That's what a black tooth grin is. It's a Pantera style drink. Hold on. So you take you take a whiskey shot of whiskey you... with a Coca Cola floater, not cocaine. Oh, okay. okay. No, cocaine happened later. Um, and you do these black tooth grins, and I would do one or two. Come on out, because I'm not. Despite my extroversion on these things, I, I no, I don't want to. And he would get mm. me all loose, and we'd go and hang out, and and we had so much fun, and we were always talking to the fans like that. Everybody was there for each other on a good tour, and we had so many of those throughout the, the three, two and a half years that I was with them. Like, people bringing each other up and remembering that it's not about any motherfucker on that tour. Yeah. It is about the people that paid money. Because when you're playing in Slovakia or someplace, like some random place in, in South, or even like doing like B market stages, like some small town in Texas or, or Oklahoma. Which you have to do. Absolutely. We do those tours. These kids might only get one chance to see their favorite band. Right. And if you don't not only give them everything on stage, but then try to make the extra effort to see if you can connect with some of them off stage and inspire them, you should be killed. You should be shot and killed. If you're going to be a performer and not give them that, that is the, that is the price we pay. So yep. bitching and moaning, yes, it was hard. There was exhaustion. There was random things that sucked. You lose track of time. But nope, you have the best... You have the best job in the world. All right, let's wrap it up, guys. I uh, think we should. That was a that was a great episode about your time with corn and country music and country fried country fried corn, which I, we're gonna do I next like time. I like that, uh, that that we really do just kind of we don't have a focal point in this, and I think that's good. Yeah. If anybody's looking for specifics, like you know, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to ebb and flow with us. Yeah. Really, what this is is if you were stuck yeah. in a room at a party hanging out with us, this is literally the way we talk. Yeah. Sure. So if you don't like it, go away. Yeah, just don't. You don't have to listen to the podcast, but do because we want your numbers. Yeah, we we want it. Really, we, we want you to listen. Yeah. We appreciate every one of you. Is really what we're trying to say. I'm waffling. That's going back and forth on an issue in case you guys ah, do the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, it's an old tool. For me. I wasn't sure about that one because when I hear waffle, all I can think is blue waffle. I just started thinking about waffles. Let's get a waffle. Not a blue waffle. Do you know about blue waffle? What the fuck is a blue waffle? Oh God. I just have regular blueberry waffles. All right, guys, we're going long. Uh, What's a blue waffle? Go ahead. You got your computer right there. Look up blue waffle. Nick, look up blue waffle. I don't use the computer. Yeah, actually, let's 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 let... Yeah, Nick, look up blue waffle. Okay. Oh, okay. Blue waffle, Kalen, is a fictional sexually transmitted infection. That is believed to both turn the vagina blue and disfigure it. Hold That's on. Not cool. Nick, I forgot to add. Hit the image search, sir. I'm not going to do that. Hit the image Just search. Okay, all right, okay. Mike asked you to. We need to know. Tell oh. us what. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no.
<laughs> oh, he got up from his seat. <laughs> uh, I'm so happy right now. You're going to have to wipe down that computer. <laughs> oh, that's the sound of infinite disgust. Oh, no. You know what? Let's leave it at that. Guys, thank you so much for watching Maneria. This is Mike Kalen and a man who is likely to go puke Are very shortly. Are you ready for Maneria? Maneria. See you next time, guys. Fuck off, Nick. <laughs>